The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is God's word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's reliable. It is sufficient. It is God's only word for us in faith and practice. Now, 1 Corinthians 12:1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. That's the word we get the word agnostic from. Don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, this is prior to your conversion, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led, multiple systems of unbelief. However you were led in paganism. But therefore, now what? I want you to understand I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, notice the word can, not the word may. You may say it, you may verbalize it, but you can't say it savingly without the Holy Spirit. Why? We're dead in our sins and we have to be born again to confess Jesus is Lord. Now look, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. By my count, and I don't claim infallibility on it, by my count in the New Testament, there are 10 major metaphors or word pictures for the church in the New Testament. It's the, the church is called the temple, uh, God's temple. It's called God's field. It's called God's building. It's called God's bride. There are basically 10 major word pictures of, of the church in the New Testament. All of them, but one, all of them, but one, have either their origin or their affirmation in the Old Testament. In other words, in the Old Testament, God's covenant people are identified by the same word pictures except one. And that one that is unique to the New Testament and is not in the Old Testament, that one is 
the body of Christ. The body of Christ. It's a very unique statement, and it obviously has some, and it's the Apostle Paul that uses it. And by the way, it actually is his favorite term to speak of the church, the body of Christ. And he also calls it the bride of Christ. There are a number of things, a number of word pictures, but that's the one that he identifies. And when he uses it, he usually uses it for two reasons. Now, put this in your mind, if you will. 2,000 years ago, <clears throat> Jesus Christ comes into the world on a mission from the Father. To accomplish this mission, he has to become what he never was while maintaining what he always has been. He always has been the Son of God. And 2,000 years ago, he adds to that. It's humiliation by addition, not subtraction. He doesn't quit being God. But he adds to this in one person uh, the full nature of a human, a true human soul, a true human body. By a man came death, now by a man will come the resurrection of the dead. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So we have the incarnation, the Son of God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, God one of us, God among us. God comes to take our place, the place of us. Now, he then bears our sins in that body. He then bears our sins in that body Dying an atoning death on a cross. That body is buried. That body is raised just as we just sung on the third day at the dawn. And then in that body, 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, whereby he is going to intercede on behalf of his people and the accomplishment uh, and the uh, application of the mission that he accomplished at the cross to save us from our sins. And in that body, he will return. But... In that body, when he returns, he will not return until body number two takes this glorious work of redemption he accomplished in body number one throughout all of the world to bring all of his people to himself with the gospel preached to all the nations. And when that gospel is preached to all the nations and all of his people have been brought, then he will return in that glorified incarnate body. But until then, we are body number two. The incarnate body has ascended and is coming again, Christ in that incarnate body. Now his indwelt body, his gathered people, his come-together people, those he indwells, now have a mission, have a message, and have a ministry that they are to carry forth into the world. That's why the, uh, that's why Luke says in Luke chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 1, Luke 1 was about the life and ministry of Christ in his incarnate body, the gospel of Luke, the biographical Holy Spirit inspired and errant testimony of Christ. Well, what is his second volume? Acts. And this is what he says. He says, the first volume, Theophilus, was all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
Well, what is the second volume? It is all that Jesus is continuing to do and teach in body number two, his church. So he loves to speak of the body of Christ. And when he does, he does so for two reasons. Two reasons. Whenever he uses the body of Christ, he's either focused on the body of Christ, Christ's church, carrying out Christ's mission and proclaiming Christ's message to the world. Or he loves to use the word picture of the church as the body of Christ, emphasizing our absolute unity and our multifaceted diversity. One body, many members. One body, but many members and each one unique in how he has gifted it. One body by the power of the Spirit and one body with every member having a Spirit-given gift that is to be used as a resource. Now, one more time, I'm going to give you our working definition. Now, one of our elders was talking with me, and he said, can we shorten this up? Yes. Next Sunday, we shorten it up to our bumper sticker, uh, our bumper sticker definition. But one more Sunday with our working definition concerning spiritual gifts. So let me give it to you one more time. This is our working definition. Now, what we have is four key texts on spiritual gifts. That's our theme this year, discovering, developing, and deploying the spiritual gifts that God has given to each and every believer. We're seeking to focus in on that, how to discover it, how to develop it, and how to deploy your spiritual gifts on, on, um, for the Lord. Four texts, 1 Peter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. We've looked at 1 Peter 4. We're just about to finish 1 Corinthians 12. Then we're going to take a look at Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, drawing out what the Bible is telling us about spiritual gifts. So we've got four texts and two key authors, Peter and Paul, that are giving us this information. This is biblical information concerning spiritual gifts. Now, here's kind of a summation of what we're working from. A spiritual gift is a God-designed, God-designed and God-delivered ministry resource from God to be used in concert with other believers. Why? Enabling Christ's church to effectively exalt Christ by staying on mission, on message, in ministry for the glory of God in the midst of adversity. To stay on mission, on message. So in other words, the body on mission, on message, and in ministry, and this marvelous tapestry of relationships where these multifaceted gifts are joined together in one Body, spirit-given gifts in a spirit, um, a spirit-established church by the body of Christ, guided by the Word of God to the headship of Christ, the head of His church. Now, I've been taking some time with this. I confess I am. Let me share with you why 
I've tried to take, I'm taking some time in these four key texts and trying to put this together. You see, this, first of all, I know this is relevant. Every one of you who are believers, you have a spiritual gift. Every one of you. And God called you to use it. And the church is in need of you using it. So that we can be more faithful, more effective, and more, um, and more productive in serving our Savior by His grace. The Spirit-born presence of Christ through the gifts of His people at work together. But if there is some, if there is something that has been given by the Lord to us that is so glorious, that everyone participates, that everyone has a ministry, that everyone is called to, to be a part of, and it is unbelievably um, uh, just exhilarating in practice. Do you not think Satan sees that as a feeding ground for himself? Something like spiritual gifts, if he can twist the scriptures or twist the way we look at it, or twist our embracing of it, so that he can cause confusion, so that he can cause chaos, so that he can cause division. And would you like to go back over church history to see how Satan has taken the biblical doctrine, glorious doctrine, of the spiritual gifts of every believer and has used it divisively has used it and twisted it for chaos and confusion and devastating results in the lives of churches? Well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is for us to do what we confess constantly. The scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. What does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? That's why we've selected these. These aren't the only texts, but they're four key texts. And these aren't the only authors, but two key authors of the Holy, of Holy Writ. And that's Peter and Paul. And what have they done for us? Well, Peter has given us five framing principles. Now, it's been almost a month since we were here. So we're coming back to this. And I want to make sure that we're all together very briefly to make sure that we're walking forward together so that the scripture is framing us. Not, well, I think think or I experience or I feel or I want, but what does God's word say about spiritual gifts? Well, Peter in first Peter chapter four, verses 10 to 11 says, as each one of you has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another. Let him who serves serve by the strength, which God supplies. Let him who speak, speak the oracles of God. And in those two verses, we drew out five framing principles about spiritual gifts as we begin to put this together. Number one that we learned is this, and is that uh, Peter beat Simon Cowell uh, to the uh, to the to reality to TV, reality TV. I know that's the guy that did America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, and all of that. Well, Peter's just told us Christians got talent. Christians have, like everybody, now everybody has a natural talent. Everybody has natural talents by virtue of creation. But Christians have spiritual talents, spiritual gifts, every as each one has received. 
Every single one of them, every single one of us have spiritual gifts, each and every one of us. Number two, spiritual gifts are not invented. They are not, uh, they are not personally, uh, are not personally originated. They are given to us by the Lord. Spiritual gifts are received. God designs ours. God delivers ours to us. Can we discover them? Yes. Can we develop them? Yes. Can we deploy them? Yes. By the power of the Spirit. But we don't originate a design and deliver our spiritual gifts. We receive them. Number three, Christians are to steward. Christians own nothing. We own nothing in this world. And that includes our spiritual gifts. We are to be servant stewards, investing them for the Savior. Number four, there are two interdependent categories. Now listen, I want you all to know something. And this whole list that I just read of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, there's more in Ephesians 4, there's more in Romans chapter 12. I'm promising you we're going to work our way through those spiritual gifts one by one. But here's what you're going to see is all of the spiritual gifts fall into two categories that have been outlined by Peter. Serve, let him who serves, let him who speak. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. But they're interdependent because those with speaking gifts are to serve and those with serving gifts are to speak and the speaking gifts need the serving gifts and the serving gifts need the speaking gifts. The ministry is word and deed, word and deed. Number five is there are two indispensable resources in the ministry of spiritual gifts. We need the word of God and we need the spirit of God. Let him who speak, speak, I mean, let him who serve, serve by the strength which God supplies. Our ministry of spiritual gifts can only be accomplished by the strength of the Holy Spirit. And let him who speaks, speak the oracles of God. The word of God is what he is to speak. Now, that's how Peter framed it. But then the apostle Paul, who had been ministering for 18 months at Corinth, had gone away. And now paganism had crept back into the church at Corinth. They were blaspheming God with the way they were doing the Lord's Supper. They had divided up. There were factions. There's some of Paul, some of Peter, some of Apollos. They were dividing up in the church, following men instead of following Jesus. There was all kinds of things. Sexual immorality had started to be practices practiced in the name of spirituality within the church. Constant problems. So they write a letter with seven concerns, and one of them is how paganism had crept into the practice of spiritual gifts. So Paul is continuing to disciple them. Remember, discipleship begins at the pulpit ministry as it cascades the Word of God and the Spirit God upon the people of God. It moves to a Sunday school community lectern. It moves into small groups and it moves into even smaller groups. And then it can even go one-on-one, life-on-life discipleship. And this is the cascade. He is now writing to them, sending them this basic sermon about spiritual gifts as to what they ought to be doing, how they ought to be doing it, and what they need to be aware of. I don't want you to be ignorant. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not lived by reflex, not lived by intuition, not lived by, not lived by human reasoning. It is lived by divine revelation. God's word is true. Let every man be a liar. So where do we go to find out how to live the Christian life, including spiritual gifts? We go to the word of God. And there are 10 of these principles of understanding that that Paul lays out for them. Number one, the first one that we saw, and we've already read this, is conversion clarity. You can't have a spiritual gift until you've been born again. You have to be spiritual. We're born dead in our sins. Until you're born again and converted, you don't have spiritual gifts. You must be brought by the power of the Spirit of God to say, Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And when you have the same Spirit that gave you life is the same Spirit who gives you a spiritual gift. Secondly is discipleship necessity. Our whole, listen, praise God, when you get to be a believer, you got a new record, you got a new heart, you got a new life, you got a new family, you got a new home. What you don't have is a new mind. That's discipleship, the renewing of the mind. So you need the necessity of spirit-filled, Christ-centered, Bible-saturated, gospel-directed discipleship in your life from a pulpit, from a lectern, from a small group, and in relationships one-on-one as well. Number three, that spiritual gifts only flourish when This basic principle is in place, God-glorifying and self-denying humility. It is all about God, and it is all about dying to ourselves. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In your body, use those spiritual gifts, but it's not about us. It's about Him. God-glorifying, self-denying humility. Probably the greatest example is the one who used his gift to fulfill his ministry uh, that we see um, in John the Baptist. Here's your picture. He must increase, I must decrease. God-glorifying, self-denying humility. Number four is, is the ministry of spiritual gifts is just like everything else in the Bible. It's Trinitarian. Your gospel is Trinitarian. The Father authored your salvation. The Son accomplished it. The Spirit applies it. Then um, your prayer life is Trinitarian. You pray to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit. Worship. The Father seeks true worshipers who worship in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Trinitarian Christianity, the triadic Christian faith, is to be present and it is true in spiritual gifts. Notice what we just read in that opening verses of 1 Corinthians 12. Who gives the gifts? Who who delivers them to you? The Holy Spirit. Where are they to be used? In ministry. Who designs the ministries? Christ. And what are the effects that are decreed, that directed? That's by the Father. The Spirit gives the gifts. The gifts function in the ministries that Christ has ordained, and it's to the effects of the Father. I love the way that's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we have received the manifestation of the Spirit in our spiritual gifts. The ministries of Christ have have been ordained for us to function within His church and then the glory of the Father and from the church into the world. But the ministries have been ordained by the Lord and the effects have been established by God the Father. 
And then number five, we learned that spiritual gifts are God-delivered, God-designed, and God-directed. God's sovereign hand has provided us our unique gift. Spoiler alert, commercial, whatever you want to call it. I can't wait to get to talking about the very parts and uniqueness of each one of each one of you has a non-duplicated, unique spiritual gift that's not static but dynamic. And it's the sovereign hand of God that has designed it. Number six, uh, number six, spiritual gifts when de- delivered to us by our triune God are given to be used, not unused, not abused, and not misused. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. That's why the next principle Paul then outlines for us in 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts are given for God's glory ultimately and the common good functionally. We don't have spiritual gifts. Now, please listen to this. Don't, I, I want to say this as carefully as I can. Spiritual gifts are not given to us for our fulfillment. Spiritual gifts are given to us to fulfill the ministry. Now that's what fills us up. We certainly get filled up. We get joyful about that because it's more blessed to give than to receive. But how are we to enter into ministry? As drink offerings, pouring ourselves out. Folks, listen, if you use your spiritual gifts looking for feedback and applause and affirmation, you won't stay in it long. God's people are too fickle. This is too broken of a world. Our applause is from heaven, not here. That's where our applause is. So why do we enter into ministry? God's glory and the common good. Serving one another in the Lord together. Number seven, spiritual gifts. Now, this is really an interesting one. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly given and empowered by God. So God's Spirit gives them and God's Spirit empowers them. And they must not be ignored or neglected. And they must not be idolized and worshipped. Now, that sets us up for just the last two that I can outline for you. And then we'll close in prayer. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and, uh, and uh, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So there is one body. Now follow me carefully on this. One of the things you'll never hear me say is, I pastor Briarwood, the body of Christ. We are not the body of Christ. We are a testimony of the body of Christ. We participate in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is referring to Christ's church universal. The body of Christ has all of the gifts in it. We as a, I mean, why did we invite Phil Tuttle to be our mission speaker if we've got all the gifts here? 
Why do we work with other churches? All of the gifts are never in any one local church. We are a manifestation of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is referring to the church universal manifested in local churches. And then God has measured out gifts, not only in each individual Christian, but in each church. And then we are to serve the Lord together as we use those gifts in the Lord. And we are one, that Christ's church is one. Christ's church knows no ethnic division before Christ. We certainly go to the ethnic nations. We go to the nations to win them to Christ. But in Christ, there's not Jew or Gentile. In Christ, we don't go by pigmentation. In Christ, we don't go by culture. We certainly have to take those things into account when doing evangelism and understanding what people's backgrounds are when they're coming. But when in Christ, we are one. Our, we belong to Christ together. We've all been, we've all got one Savior. We've got one God and Father. We've got one gospel. We've been redeemed by one shed blood. We have been filled by the same Spirit. The Spirit of God has baptized us into Christ and Christ has baptized us with the spirit of God and the spirit of God has now baptized us into the body of Christ. So we are signed, sealed and delivered by the triune God as one people before the Lord. That's how we are to see each other. That's why James says this notion of discrimination, this notion of partiality is is wrong on two counts. Creation, we all got the same daddy. His name was Adam. And in redemption, we've all got the same redeemer, the second Adam, Christ. We are one in Christ our Lord. And then he, then he said, but look at this. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, sovereignty of God, as he chose. You didn't choose your spiritual gifts. You didn't choose your spiritual gift and its constellation. He chose it and gave it to you. Just like you didn't choose the color of your eyes. I made the mistake in the first service, just like you didn't choose the color of your hair. Uh, three women stopped me outside and said, oh, yes, I did. Well, you may have for a while. And she said, and you'd be surprised how many men are doing it, Pastor. Well, I'd probably think about doing it if I had any uh, to do it with. But uh, So this is the sovereign hand of God in creation and in redemption and in providence. He gave you your spiritual gift. And, and just as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Many members. You see, unity and diversity. Unity, watch, unity in diversity. Not in spite of diversity. It's in the diversity. 
as all of the gifts come from the same God for the same purpose in the same body whereby we serve together in the cause of Christ. The eye, look at the next verse, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, now watch this, the parts of the body that that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, which are absolutely crucial, unpresentable, you don't make them public just think of a body you don't make them public but they're absolutely essential for life and reproduction is that you do what these are treated with greater modesty not only has God put some parts of the body that are important so crucial unobservable there are some that are crucial he tells you to cover up so that they don't get more attention than they should. So that every part of the body is properly honored. Because every gift is necessary. And then what does he say after that? He tells you that um, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now I want you to get ready. Can you be unpresbyterian and answer in just a minute? I'm going to get to some rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions means a question that already in the question has affirmed the right answer. You be ready to answer. Let's see how you do with this. Baptists, please lead the way. Pentecostals, you take the first chair. Now, you are the body of Christ. You, all of you, the body of Christ, his church in this world, and individually members of it. You get saved personally, but you do not live independently. Individualism is unknown in the body of Christ. We're saved personally, but we are united together to serve Christ in his church, which he gave himself for and purchased with his blood. The common good. We are united together in the Lord. Individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and other various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Okay, got six Baptists. Praise the Lord. I'll try it again. Are all apostles? Now stay with it. Don't give up. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Then why in the world... Do we divide up with these exotic movements claiming that that ought to be true? He's already told us different gifts, different times in the life of the church for different purposes. But one body. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he goes to the issue of love. Well, I'm out of time, so let me just give you your takeaways 
And, um, and then we will close in prayer. Number nine. Number nine. This is the ninth understanding principle that comes from these verses. Spiritual gift, pride and arrogance, or spiritual gift, jealousy and envy are devastating to the body life of a church. Well, if I can't be an ear, I'm not going to show up. It's amazing how the church suffers from independency, individualism, isolation, and idolatry in spiritual gifts. If I can't be an elder, if I can't be a deacon, if I can't be a teacher of this class, if I can't be that, if I can't be this. Here is this amazing statement that the spiritual gifts, arrogance and pride are devastating. People isolate, insulate themselves. Or people think, look at my gift. And instead of embracing it with modesty, begin to flaunt it. What are we supposed to do in those honorable gifts? We minister them with modesty. So we don't put, we don't embrace pride and arrogance of any spiritual gift. We don't flaunt it. We don't exalt ourselves with it. And secondly, we don't live in jealousy and envy. Well, if I don't have that position and I don't have that and I don't have this, and I am going to just cause nothing but problems in the body of Christ until I get it. Jealousy and envy is condemned in the text. Arrogance and pride is condemned in the text because they're devastating to the life of the body of Christ. It's devastating. Here's the ninth, here's the tenth one. The tenth one is this. Those spiritual gifts that are the least visible are actually, usually the most, the most crucial, the most vital. How many of you that today, before you left home to come here, looked at the mirror? This is, don't worry, it's not a sin. It's not a sin. Did you do that? Anybody do that? Okay. What was the last thing you looked at? My guess is your hair. Or the lack thereof. How many of you looked at the mirror and To see your liver. Or your kidneys. Or your heart. Let me ask you a question. If your hair falls out today. Are you going to be okay? Amen. You can say amen. I am a living testimony. If your liver falls out today. You going to be okay? No. Your heart, your kidneys. Isn't it interesting? The things most vital in our body, you don't see them.
And those things that are vital that you could see, we treat with modesty. Because we want everything to be about the Lord, not about us. That's what God calls us to. So there are no little people, no little gifts in the body of Christ. Every one of them are crucial. And the ones that you think less of are even more crucial. When I, went, when I wrestled with the call to the ministry, my granddaddy asked me to read an early biography of Billy Graham. It was by, I think it was by John Pollock, and I read it. I remember at East Carolina University reading it outside and praying through this thing. But one of the things I'll never forget, after Billy's ministry took off in the late 50s and then the end of the 60s, John Pollock asked him, Billy, what do you think it is that God has used and that God is blessing to grant you so much favor for Christ's sake in these days? He said, it's easy. Now, John Pollock will tell you, he thought he was going to say, well, when George Beverly Shea joined and we started singing How Great Thou Art, our blessed assurance, our Cliff Barrows, or the altar call. He said, no, no. He said, I can tell you right now. And he named the lady who was retired. She took her retirement and she got Billy's crusade schedule. And she found out what city he would be in. She would go there the week before, organize prayer teams, and pray for the week before the crusade. During the crusade, she would have prayer teams each day to join her in her hotel room, praying for the crusade that week. And then she would stay one more week to pray for the follow-up of the churches of those who had made professions of faith. He said, that's it. Who knows about her? I know George Beverly Shea. I know Cliff Barrows. Who knows about her? The less visible, many times, the most crucial. Don't envy and don't hold a ministry with arrogance. If God's blessing your ministry, cover it with modesty. And if God's given somebody other ministry, don't envy it. Don't be jealous of it. Give praise to God for it. When I was a kid, my mother, would y'all, let me just do one, just this. Maybe we'll walk out with this one, okay? When I was a kid, my mother, uh, on Saturdays during the winter, because during the summer I'd be at a baseball field, but during the winter, to keep me busy, she would give me a dollar bill. That's a big deal in my family, a dollar bill. And I'd get the number two bus in Charlotte, uh, at, Shenandoah, at Shenandoah Avenue, take it up to the square, and I would go down to my mother, and my mother would tell, give me my instructions, and I would go to either the Imperial, or the Imperial or the Carolina Theater, and I would take my dollar, and I'd get, this is a long time ago, uh, I'd get an orange drink, I'd get a pack of Raisinets, and a box of popcorn, and I'd go to the movie, and when the movie was over, mother-approved movie, I'd give you the whole dialogue, for South Pacific, I can give you the whole dialogue of that. And so you would go to the uh, movie, and then when it was over, I'd slip into the bathroom, 
until they finished cleaning it. And then I would come back and watch it again a second time. And then mother said, now that, by that time it's over and you can come and I'll be ready to go home. And so I would go back. Now sometimes she'd let me go home on the bus. I'd actually get a round trip on the bus. And I loved to go home with the bus because I'd usually have a nickel left over and I could get a pea shooter with a packet of peas and get on the bus. That's in the days when there was no air conditioning, which means people rolled around with what? Rode around with what? Rolled down windows. You know how much fun it is to have a pea shooter in a bus with rolled down car windows coming up beside you at every stoplight. That was fun. But, but what I did do when I would go to Sears and Roebuck, when I'd get to Sears and Roebuck on the way, I always passed this little hamburger place called White Castle. And it's, it's embedded in my memory because there was always a man out front. He had no legs. He built a leather saddle to put on his stumps. And he, because he didn't want just a handout, he played a harmonica for you to give him something. And he would play his harmonica. I don't think he knew how to play the harmonica. That didn't matter. But he was going to do something. He wasn't going to just ask for a handout. And he played the harmonica. And people would come by and they'd drop change in his box. Sometimes people would go by carelessly and just throw a quarter or throw something. Miss the box. And I remember watching him take two blocks of woods with a strap. Put them on his hands. Hold himself up. And walk on his hands to get the quarter and put it in the box. And then walk back, pick up the harmonica, and play again. I watched him do that. And I watched him, I mean, any, every time I came back, I don't know how many years he was there. He was able to get it done. He found a way for his arms to work for his legs. Ask him, would you rather have had your legs? Folks, Christ is going to get his work done in his church. But there's a lot of time we've got arms doing the work of legs. Because the legs are isolated, are independent, are apathetic. And don't show up. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's error. I can just do this on my own. I don't need the church. I don't know what it might be. But oh, what would it look like if all the members in the power of the Spirit exalting Christ, not their gifts, exalting Christ, were on the move, speaking and serving for the glory of Christ on mission, on message. And in ministry. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together. May I just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Father, there may be some on that very first point you're calling them today. Not to the spiritual gift, but to Christ. To life in Christ. Would you bring them to yourself? If you would like to pray with someone, there will be those up here who would pray with you. But, Father, there are your people that are here, and every one of them have gifts. Please, oh God, let us participate in the body of Christ, not only in a Lord's Day worship, 
But day after day, as together for the common good, we accomplish the mission that you have given to body number two, the indwelt body of Christ with its multifaceted members. Please, God, liberate us and protect us from arrogance and pride of our gifts, of jealousy and envy of others and their gifts and ministry. And may Christ be all, in all and through all. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.